0: I'm Bijan Karimi. Welcome to The Reflecting Pool, where I discuss thesis research being done by CHDS students, how the topic relates to the broader homeland security enterprise, and what it's like to be part of the master's program. In October 2018, a Boeing 737 MAX aircraft crashed in Jakarta, Indonesia. In March 2019, an eerily similar event happened in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. After studying the incidents, Boeing claimed the crashes occurred because of a glitch in software designed to compensate for larger engines and changed aerodynamics due to a redesigned aircraft. The software changes worked in most circumstances, but made it difficult for pilots to directly control the plane without being overridden by the software in certain circumstances. A Dallas Morning News review of the aircraft incidents cited one pilot's comments, stating, It's unconscionable that a manufacturer, the FAA, and the airlines would have pilots flying in an airplane without adequate training and sufficient documentation to understand the highly complex system. The 737 MAX air crashes highlight what happens when software and complex systems come together. People operating these complex machines may not fully understand how they're programmed and how they might react when dealing with a novel circumstance. Humans must understand the limitations of these new systems and consider what adaptations and training are necessary to prepare us to exist in a world surrounded by intelligent technology. Jackie Lindsay became the secretary of the New Mexico Department of Homeland Security and Emergency Management after a 17-year career with the Albuquerque Fire Department. She's also an Olympian, having competed for her native Canada at the 2000 and 2004 games in softball. She and I met in Monterey at the annual APEX conference to talk about her thesis. Many NPS students come to the program to research a problem at their home agency or take on a grand challenge. For Jackie, studying the interface of humans and intelligent technology was very personal.
1: Right before I came to MPS, to CHDS, um, my best friend was killed in a Tesla accident in Florida. And I actually had no intention of writing on that. I just happened to come to school. As we were in the first semester and, and reading several of the books that we had read, and uh, I just thought, you know, this is interesting. I'm, I'm kind of angry, actually. I, I think I'm going to try to rip Elon Musk Because he killed my best friend. And that really was my motivation behind it. I started researching. I started reading more. I started looking into the circumstances around Josh's death and quickly learned that wasn't just the fault of a vehicle or somebody's design of the vehicle, but there was a lot of human error involved. And it it got me really interested. I did so much research. It was much more of a cathartic type of uh, exercise for me. And it started with our very first uh, assignment with Bellavita's class, which was to do your first research project. So that's what I I started doing, was really looking into the, you know, the depths of, of Tesla and automation and autopilot and all of this this movement with our vehicles, how we're starting to go to more automation um, and what that means for society. And uh, by the time I was done that research paper, I feel like I had enough to do an entire thesis. And so that was the momentum I decided to continue on.
0: So much has been written about autonomous vehicles. Tesla is the one that's mentioned most, but there's what Uber is doing, what Waymo is doing, all kinds of, of different things. But really, Elon is sort of their evangelist. And one of the things that he says is autonomous vehicles are going to decrease accidents, and it's going to save lives. What are some of the unintended consequences of releasing, or some would say unleashing, mm-hmm. this type of autonomous vehicle technology and putting it into mass production?
1: Sure. And there's no doubt that we need to try to solve that problem. 35,000 people die every year on the roads in accidents. And if we can decrease that, we absolutely should. The more research I've been able to do, I think there will be positive impacts from automation technology. If we look at vehicles now, where they were legacy vehicles, having no automation at all, and then looking at a completely autonomous vehicle. If you were to put that on the alphabet an A through Z, I don't think we're anywhere near Z at the moment. I think we're more in the middle of that. I think the unintended consequences are that we have this instant gratification that we want to be at Z already, but it takes time, it takes iteration, it takes a lot of design, it takes mistakes, unfortunately, to get to those solutions and and to be able to build a system that is safe and and reliable. The unintended consequences in between that A to Z is that people may lose their lives like Josh did.
0: For the development of the autonomous technology, it's not humans coding what the vehicle is actually going to do. There's machine learning involved. Sure, A machine is studying how humans interact with yeah. yet a second machine. And as humans, we are imperfect. We are. So we have a machine learning in an imperfect environment. What impact does that have on development of this algorithm that's effectively working in the background as the vehicle's driving down the road?
1: What do they say about computers? Garbage in, garbage out, right? Good stuff in, good stuff out. There's a lot of human bias that we're not aware of. And I don't know that artificial intelligent machines that are learning are aware of it either unless we program them to understand that. If we can really get to the root of biases and what that looks like and be able to counter that as machines are starting to learn humans, I think we'll have a better chance of connecting them together and taking that exponential leap.
0: And while we're looking just at vehicles right now, that concept of machine learning from a human-other machine interaction, that applies to just about any type of technological interaction yeah so your point about bias it's not just about how someone drives it can be about anything
1: absolutely yeah
0: you identify three components of a self-driving vehicle user relationship which I think can be applied to almost any technology that is being used by humans and anything new what are those different components
1: Intelligent technology is being developed. So that's one of them. The, the user adoption. So how we decide we're going to adopt this type of technology and use it. And then that interface that we actually don't know a lot about because this is something that's so new in society. Those are kind of the three things that I was looking at. And what we see in today's society is, is trying to get things to market quickly is really important. If a company can be on the forefront of that and be the first for instance, to get to that self-driving vehicle, they have quite a quite a market share. And so it's something that I think is important to remember that that is iterative and it takes time to get through the development of these new technologies. And then the user and how they adopt it. There are still folks that will not use a smartphone. You may have the technology out there, it may be the safest, and it may make such a huge difference, but you're still going to have maybe the laggards that aren't interested in adopting that technology. So taking a look at those two and how they interact, and then just not knowing what happens when we do interface those because we're still in the infancy of of this type of technology and humans combining.
0: When developing new technology that has such a significant safety component like vehicles, should the government have a more forward-leaning regulatory engagement
1: It's difficult. It's trying to hit that sweet spot between having the right regulation in place, but allowing the technology to develop and to blossom the way it can. Uh, We know technology moves so much faster than our regulations are able to keep up. So identifying a way that could be fluid, and I don't have that answer, but I think that that is probably the next big question that we have to start answering, is how do we regulate and allow for that technology to continue to grow, but do it in the safest manner possible.
0: I think many consumers, myself included, would think if it is something like a vehicle or some other item that I can purchase, I'm trusting that the government has inspected it, checked it, whatever, and deems it safe for me.
1: And I think that trust comes down to another bias we have, which is that we do we do trust these things when they are pushed out the name of something, for instance, autopilot. We, we have this inherent trust that that's what it's supposed to do. It's, it's the pilot. It's going to do it by itself. It doesn't need any input from me. That's something that needs to be thought of as we're designing technology too.
0: You talk about this idea of a trust pendulum. What is that?
1: Initially, we don't trust things, right? So we're, we're a little bit hesitant to trust it, but then as, as we're, especially for early adopters, people that are really vested in seeing something succeed. For instance, Josh was incredibly vested in Tesla. He loved the idea of automation technology. He was kind of a tech geek his whole life. Uh, he had his own tech company. And so you see the pendulum then swing far the other side and there starts to be more of an automation bias that this is okay, that there's trust, enough trust that I'm going to do things I normally wouldn't do. And then something bad happens and the pendulum swings back the other way. And so you see this like from one side to the other type of uh, trust issue. And and we want to find that middle ground where we have technology that's safe we have the right trust so that that technology can do what it's supposed to do. If you don't trust it and you don't use it, it doesn't, it doesn't serve its purpose.
0: You mentioned Josh was a big advocate of, of technology. He was, yeah. And he, with his vehicle, was actually making personal observations about yeah. his use of the autopilot system. What are some of the comments, you may recall, that, that he posted on social media, some of which were actually retweeted by Elon? He
1: uh, he had a YouTube video. He was coming onto a highway, and as he was merging into the next lane, a truck was coming across and was going to hit him. And the technology actually moved him out of the way, and you know what he would say was saved his life. Well, that caught the attention of Elon Musk, and then he retweeted it. And he got upwards of about 3 million views from it. Um, some of the here afterwards in his uh, posts where I can die and go to heaven now because Elon recognized my post and retweeted it. It just continues to build the idea that this technology is actually incredibly safe and can be trusted beyond maybe its capabilities. And it's not intentional in any way. I mean, this is just the human nature that this is what happens with us.
0: You've mentioned bias several times. Mm -hmm. What are some of the biases that Josh may have had with this new technology that he was enamored with?
1: This situation, I would consider it to be confirmation bias, that the technology is working the way it needs to be
0: working. What do you see in terms of this idea of bias creation? How do you see it being extrapolated to other areas and welcoming new technology without appreciating what risk it may pose?
1: So maybe on not such a risky stance, but an example, I think I use is uh, how we use our smartphones and the navigation systems within our smartphones and we we just inherently trust them right they've gotten us to the right places most of the time once in a while they make the mistake and then You feel so frustrated that you allowed that to happen. And when we're driving a vehicle at 70 miles an hour, we're driving a bullet. And if we're trusting that beyond its capabilities, that has unintended consequences and and could result in fatalities. And, And in this case, it did.
0: You coined the term Brown's Point. What is that?
1: Looking at some of the other theories on technology and their adoption. So one of those was with a gentleman named Teller. And uh, he talks about how technology is outpacing the human's ability to adapt to it. And that creates a problem. There's a gap. Well, in that gap, there's an area that I would kind of call the hybrid phase where we're not quite able to uh, adapt to it and connect with it. But once we do connect with it, I coined that Brown's point because he believed so much, Josh Brown believed so much in technology that it could take us and exponentially leap us forward as a society, as humans. And so I thought that was a an interesting way to honor him and to really think about how we want technology and humans to be together. I mean, we look in 2007 when we saw the creation of, iPhones and Androids and what that has done to society since then has been kind of that hockey stick jump upwards. We have the power of a space shuttle in a palm of our hands 25, 30, 40 years later. What what happens when we have this type of technology and we actually connect humans together, I think is going to be that next exponential leap when it's reliable, when we've adopted it, when we're able to really merge with it and create that synergy.
0: Some firms, Apple most notably, they will use cultural anthropologists to really study the human interaction with a thing. How do we shorten The distance between where technology is and where we as humans are so that we don't have this gap that may create a situation like Josh had where he put too much faith in it.
1: Assuming that humans can take their skill set from a legacy vehicle where you are absolutely the the primary user of it and becoming kind of a supervisory role, I think really offers uh, some challenges for us that we have to consider. For example, you know, you're driving your vehicle... In a vehicle that has no any, no technology, just, you know, 1980s car. When you're making a lane change, you're shoulder checking, making sure that there is no car in the lane next to you. Nowadays, we have technology that flashes in our side view mirror, and we're not even shoulder checking anymore. We're relying on that technology, which can be problematic. And so as we move away from being the primary driver of the vehicle and becoming more of a supervisor, we're going to have to really consider how we train people If humans aren't keeping up with how fast technology is moving forward then we can slow technology down. I would argue that most don't want that to happen, especially those in the tech world who see these things as having incredible solutions. We can increase the reliability of technology. We can increase human's ability to adapt and to adopt those technologies. Uh, It's not something that's innate for us to rely uh, or to use technology in the manner that we are using it today. And so there should perhaps be some um, training mechanisms in place. I think about autopilot, I think about pilots in aircraft and the regulations that went into that type of uh, technology, the amount of training that goes into that technology, and the amount of maintenance into those types of vehicles that they're using that as well. I mean, we really have to take a, a broader look
0: Many places in your thesis, you cite Tom Friedman, who's the popular author, writes a lot about technology and its exponential growth. One of the books we read was Super Intelligent by Nick Bostrom, and mm-hmm. you know his his concerns about artificial intelligence mm-hmm. are that it may hit that critical point and all of a sudden kill us all.
1: Yeah, the singularity yes, idea.
0: Yes, r- right, the, yeah. the, the singularity. When people are designing mm-hmm. new technology... Mm-hmm. Should there be a guide? Is there a guide? Which gives them a pause point to say, the risks of this are so high that maybe I shouldn't do it or it needs to proceed with great care.
1: I think we have a unique opportunity to, to be the writers of the future. And we have an opportunity right now, and as Hawkins even talks about too, to design it a way that we ensure our future and that that become more human centric and not so technocentric. It's easy to see the, the shiny object and to get excited about it. but. These things are tools for us, and they should be considered tools for us. So how do we design them around the human?
0: Did you put any thought into some type of criteria that could be used by people developing the technology to say if it checks off these boxes or if the risk is low in these areas, we proceed, or these other flags may make it very dangerous?
1: I think it's really important because we need to work with our scientists and make sure that as we're developing these things, we are considering the human, perhaps defining um, what reliable technology is and what that looks like and where is that tipping point that we feel comfortable with allowing it to move forward. As long as the human is kept in the centerpiece of design and we design with intent for that, I think we have a better chance of making less mistakes and having unintended consequences.
0: It's been a bit since you published your thesis. Mm -hmm. Have you had any new insights given your personal connection to this topic?
1: There's been some changes in uh, Tesla's system and what they require humans to do. Now, what we know about Josh's accident was that he was in Florida on a rather rural road and crested a hill and there was a semi making a a left turn in front of him. But he had about 10 seconds from when he crested that where he could see that vehicle to where contact was made with the, the back of the semi. And so that's an awful long time to not be paying attention when you're driving. Since then, if your hands are off the wheel, you have to touch the the steering wheel often. I know that there's been some discussion about putting technology in windshields to look at the human's eyes to make sure their eyes are up and on the road and not somewhere else. So I think that there is advancing technology that's changing and happening. You know, as as I'm in my new business and, and working within Homeland Security Emergency Management, I'm always looking for ways to use technology to help us in our job and help us with the things that we are fallible at. I think remembering that it's a tool and can only do so much, I think, is, is where I'm at with, with technology and, and myself.
0: Is there a particular class or instructor that was really helpful in the development of your thesis?
1: Being at CHDS, I learned a ton. It was a fantastic experience. But my own bias was probably the most important piece that I learned and how to humble a wingnut one of the books that we read, I thought was just fantastic. I think everybody should read it. And uh, it was just really kind of an eye-opener for me. And I think it has helped me tremendously. I, I think it really influenced this thesis. It's influenced how I interact with people and work. And it's been a, a great lesson, and that was unexpected.
0: What would you say to a prospective applicant?
1: Keep trying. I mean, if you're interested in, in this type of work, uh, there is no better place to be. It is an incredible experience. The people, the quality of people, the, the knowledge, the depth, um, of the instructors. I, I love coming back here. I, I got in really late last night. And as soon as I stepped on, onto campus, it was just kind of like this. Oh, I'm home. This is awesome. So it is worth the hard work, worth, uh, multiple applications if need be. I say keep trying because it, it's fantastic.
0: Much of the interview focused on Tesla's self-driving capabilities, but this is not the only example of fallible technology. A coworker purchased a new car in 2017 with adaptive cruise control that would slow his vehicle down or speed it up to maintain a constant distance from the one in front of it. One day, as he was driving into the sun, he noticed that some of the driver assistance functions weren't working as intended, and there was no indication that they weren't functioning properly. Turns out the vehicle's camera and sensors don't do well in direct sunlight or bright lights. The driver's manual that came with the vehicle didn't contain this warning, but the online version, revised two years later, did. He was an attentive driver and learned about the limitations by happenstance. Next time you put your trust in new technology, make sure you understand its intended purpose and limitations. When you do, you will have reached your own Brown's Point. CHDS is the nation's Homeland Security Educator and part of the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. Since 2002, CHDS has provided a neutral educational forum where current and future Homeland Security leaders discuss policies, strategies, and programs needed to counter terrorism and handle catastrophic events. For information on the Masters, Executive Leadership, or other academic programs, visit chds.us.